Guests today are Hayden Sears and Erin Basile. We're discussing being brought up by experts, the influences, changes, and their own mothering journeys. Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. And today we're going to be discussing what it's like being brought up by experts. We don't need any more doctors. We needed women and nurturers and mummies and and people that can connect on a different level with with people all over. So seeing firsthand the results of attachment parenting and responsive parenting and peaceful parenting that my older siblings have done, like I am all in, even on the hard days. I know it's not always easy, but it's definitely worth it. <laughs> Where I'm sure Bill and Martha had to work very hard at it too, because they would have been swimming against the tide yeah. a lot in their generation. <laughs> It's interesting. I, I kind of thought I've thought about that a lot. Like, is it is parenting this way something that just happened because it's what I was around, or was it a conscious choice? And I think it was a little bit of both. Is not going to guarantee you that you're going to have a perfectly smooth journey. But what it means is that when it goes rough for your kids, they will come back and tell you. This episode of Tits Up is sponsored by Booby Foods, all natural and organic foods to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. Hi, my guests today are Hayden Sears and Erin Basile. Erin, a first-time mum's a certified health and wellness coach, yoga teacher, fitness instructor, instructor, sorry, and published author of the Dr. Sears T5 Wellness Plan and the Healthy Motherhood Journal. She's a featured writer for AskDrSears.com and has been a guest on TV shows and podcasts, um, including Hallmark's Home and Family. She holds an MA in Music from Azusa Pacific University, as well as a Master Health Coach certification from the Dr. Sears Wellness Institute and multiple fitness certifications. In addition to fitness, she also teaches voice and piano lessons, owns a Juice Plus virtual franchise and a health and wellness coaching business. Hayden... Sears, mother of three, is a certified health and nutrition coach who loves helping families and individuals on their journey toward better health. She's the co-author of the Healthy Pregnancy Journal and contributing author to the Healthy Brain Book. She is the oldest daughter of Dr. William and Martha Sears, and she's worked with the Sears Family Pediatrics Medical Practice for over 15 years as a wellness coordinator. She's a featured writer for AskDrSears.com. has been a guest on TV shows and news stations, sharing nutrition tips, healthy meal options, and the benefits of baby wearing. And she's excited to co-host the Dr. Sears Family Podcast. Hayden also owns a Juice Plus virtual franchise and travels all over the world speaking about how to keep ourselves and our families healthy. She received her MA from Azusa Pacific University and resides in Southern California. Having homeschooled for 10 years, she now volunteers at her kids' school and enjoys dancing, performing arts, and yoga. Have you guessed there's a bit of a theme going on here? Erin <laughs> and Aiden are sisters. They are the daughters of the renowned William Sears, Dr. Bill. He's a US pediatrician, and his, and his wife, Martha Sears, is their mum. Dr. Bill's famous for his incredible number of books about babies, families, health, and wellness, and many of these were co-authored by Martha, and he's perhaps most famous for creating the term attachment parenting. And today we're going to be discussing what it's like being brought up by experts, the influences, the pressures, the changes, and how this fits together for Erin and Hayden with their own families. So welcome, Erin and Hayden. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Hi, Pinky. <laughs> and it's so good to see you ladies. And you are in Southern California. You know, it's so good to have this across the world connection that we can have. Yeah. It's funny, as you were reading our bio, and you can see, if, like you said, you could see a common theme. So we have three older brothers. Well, there's eight of us kids. We have three older brothers, and they're all doctors. And I think God's like, you know what? 
your family needs some balance. Let's throw some artists and dancers and yoga people in there. So there are three yeah. doctors and then came us. <laughs> the, <artists. laughs> the, the happy girls, the wild girls, the dancing girls, the singing girls. <laughs> That's That's us. Us. Fuck the trend. Yeah. <laughs> you probably had seen your older brother's lifestyle. I've actually got a neighbour who's, um, her brother's a doctor and she's been accepted into med school, but now she's saying she's already done biomedical science and she says, I don't know that I want his lifestyle. Yeah. We're just, Aaron and I definitely are built differently, you know, but it's fun. It's great because we can bring in a different flavor to the Sears family and what our mission is. You know, we don't need any more doctors. We needed <clears throat> women and nurturers and mummies and, and people that can connect on a different level with, with people all over. So, And you can shake up the boys and question yeah. it. <laughs> It's fun. We work really great together. We, we, we speak together with our brothers and our parents. So it's, it's a really great partnership. It is. It's great. And you've got younger siblings as well, haven't you? We do. Yeah, we have um, two younger brothers and a younger sister. So there's eight oh. of us Which was really great. Hayden and I are in the middle. We split the middle. So it's, it's been re- it was really cool from growing up to have this perspective of, you know, watching, looking up to the older siblings, being excited for all the stuff they get to do as older kids. But then also, you know, stepping into the, you know, mom and training with like our younger, youngest sister, she's 10 years younger than me. So, you know, my mom training started when she, when Lauren came along. So that's really, that was really fun. Yeah, I think that's a bit like my family. I've got girls in the middle and then, if, you know, I've bonus baby later on and they've got the two big brothers perhaps you know not eight children but five but it's really interesting to watch and it's interesting to watch the big ones nurturing the little ones isn't it I think you know your big strong boys are so gentle around those babies it's just it's just a lovely culture to have in a family I think yeah 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 so um what about your own family you know, your own little children? Well, I have, um, I'm a mom of three. So I started my family's, my family pretty young, got married and did all that pretty young. I have, and now I have an 18 year old and a 14 year old daughter and an 11 year old son. Um, I was a single mom for about six years. And then I just got married, remarried last summer. So I'm also a newlywed. Congratulations (laughs) on a year of marriage. (laughs) I'm in my forties and um, just kind of, you know, I've left the little kid stage and have entered the teenage and tween years and all the adventures that brings to me and the whole new challenges. And um, it's funny though, a lot of a lot of what I learned and a lot of lot of what I did with them as they were toddlers and babies, a lot of the stuff is it comes back around and it's a lot of the same stuff I'm doing with them or or ways I'm operating with them. They're just older now, so it's it's very cyclical I found uh, a lot of the tools I used when they were little it the skills and everything is very similar now they're just older and um, a bit different but uh, you know we, I'm sure we'll get to attachment parenting more in the later on but yes. that I can see now with this bird's eye view of having my kids be a little older I can look back and see how that foundation has really set the tone for now having teenagers and what that means. And that's right. And I think when you've done that very responsive um, nurturing with toddlers, toddlers and teenagers are very similar in that big burst of brain development, those, you know, big emotions, um, exploring. It's it, A lot of that is very similar to the toddler years, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, tell us about yeah. your toddler family. years. Right. I'm right in the middle of that. Um, so you, my, my little one, Johnny, he's almost two and a half now. So my story is kind of a little opposite of Hayden. You know, um, growing up as her little sister, I, you know, I, of course, idolized everything of, of, about my older siblings. And I always thought that that would be my path as well. Get married young, start having kids young. But, you know, my, my path uh, had, to, had some twists and turns in it. So I am a little bit of an older mom now. Um, Johnny's two and a half and I'm, you know, I'm 39 now. So uh, I have a little bit of a different perspective, 
but you know, jumping on that toddlers and teenagers and in, in regards to attachment parenting um, theme, I, I'm holding on hope because I know that we're in a really hard uh, little stage here with, with the toddler exploration, but seeing firsthand the results of attachment parenting and responsive parenting and peaceful parenting that my older siblings have done, like I am all in, even on the hard days. I know it's not always easy, but it's definitely worth it. <laughs> You're in for the long game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is parenting, isn't it? The right. long game. <laughs> well, I, and I like that concept because it, it really is. I mean, it, it's an investment. I think my parents even talk about that a lot. It's an investment that you you really, you spend early on and, and that time and, and that intention really carries you through so yeah Erin Erin was she was very hands-on very hands-on sister and auntie she was around a lot so she got to experience my kids as young and now she sees them as teenagers and um I'm sure you know at some point like even even as moms ourselves we question like ah was this really the right choice like did I is all this matter like is it worth it and yeah. on some days it might be hard to admit that but yeah gosh it really really is it really is um, yeah, and, and you get that, you know, pressure of you're making that rod for your back kind of thing and you do start to doubt yourselves. But how do you feel that being immersed in, you know, like we're talking about, immersed in that Sears family culture, how did that influence your own parenting around, I mean, obviously it's had a big influence because that's, you know, imprinted into you. Um but do you think you've made conscious choices about, you know, obviously about how to nurture your babies and children? Was it was it more the imprinting? Um, you've had your own children in different times, both of you. Like, obviously, you know, Hayden had her children, you know, 11 and 18 years ago. And Erin, you're just a, pretty much a new mum doing this toddler stuff for the very first time. What, what would have you, what have you done just perhaps a little bit differently or yes and of course even though you're brought up in this lovely nurturing family where I'm sure Bill and Martha had to work very hard at it too because they would have been swimming against the tide yeah. a lot in their generation um yeah so what have you found the most challenging and what have you done a little bit differently well you know it's interesting. I, I kind of thought I've thought about that a lot. Like, is it is parenting this way something that just happened because it's what I was around, or was it a conscious choice? And I think it was a little bit of both. I definitely growing up as a Sears, and like you said, was definitely swimming against the grain back then. Um, you know, 30, 40 years ago, things were very different. Like nowadays, peaceful parenting concepts and, and attachment theory and all that is very widely known. But back then it really wasn't. And so, you know, I know there was a lot of critics and stuff like that, but it was always a very positive thing for me that my parents were swimming against the grain. Like we were very, we were, we were, we grew up with the, you know, being outside the box, you know, not following the crowd, um, going against the grain was, was something we were taught as an asset. Like it's okay to think different than other people. It's okay to explore and, um, you know, not follow the current cultures, not be swayed by the waves. So um, I saw my parents just be so strong in their conviction about it and so positive about it. They, they didn't get caught up in the like, you know, the battles or the blah, blah, blah. They just were like, you know, we're doing the best we can, not perfectly, but the best we can. And I, I saw their attitudes around it and their humility and, and how they continued to want to learn and grow through it. Um, like they didn't, they didn't appear to me as like, we're the experts, we know everything, like, you know, shut everything out. They were just, they were open to learning and receiving. And um, that was very appealing to me as, as a child and, and a teenager, as I watched them parent their younger ones. Um, so it was a very positive experience for me. And then, you know, I had my, I got pregnant when I was 24. So, you know, I, my frontal lobe was just, just barely fully developed. So it, it kind of, happened very naturally. Like I didn't, um, everything felt very comfortable and natural. I shouldn't say everything. Most things felt very comfortable and natural. It like, it was in there already. Like I, I already experienced it happen. Like I saw my mom give birth to three of my younger siblings in natural childbirth in her bedroom, you know, like I was there. <laughs> so it, 
so much of it was just very familiar and not, um, but you know, there was a few things definitely that I, that I knew I wanted to do different. A lot of it, it was somewhat a, a, a generational difference and stuff like that. But I, I wanted to parent how my parents parented. You know, I think sometimes when, when people are in a dynamic family, sometimes they either like do the, exactly the same or they rebel and do the complete opposite. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> that, that could be definitely a thing, but it was such a positive experience for me that I was like, I was all in. I really was. Yeah, great. And Erin, what about you? Because having yeah. a baby when you're a little bit older, there's a lot of life-changing transitions into parenting, aren't there? From being that uh, woman in charge of your own life to giving over and surrendering to a child. Yeah, there's a lot I want to say, so I'll try to keep it um, focused here, but just a little bit of a testament to kind of the long game of uh, responsive parenting is, you know, growing up in our family, it was, of course, kind of crazy, but like in the best possible way, you know, it was, it was so down to earth. I There was a freedom to be who I was, right? I, I always felt safe and secure to um, be open and honest with my, with, with my, with my parents. And, you know, I remember just the quality time, even when my dad was busy, you know, writing all the books and, um, you know, building a practice, which was in our garage when I was really young, when I was like four five, six years old was in our, when our, our garage down in Southern California. And I re- I remember vividly like spending that time with him and, um, you know, watching and observing. And, you know, when he would come home from, I'm sure a very hard day, you know, the first thing he would say is, you know, have you hugged your dad today? You know, so there I always will remember that just like, yeah. it's just like this most beautiful uh, image in my mind. And, um, you know, that, so that's what I was modeled. Right. And it imprinted in my, in my, you know, in my bones and my genes on, you know, this, this makes sense. This works. This is what life's about, you know? Um, so fast forward, you know, I, I had some hard years where I rebelled and I, you know, I took life into my own hands and I had some hard years. I had to learn some hard lessons, you know, got into some addiction things. Um, but my parents were always there and I, I, I had a home base to come back to that, that secure, that attachment was so secure, um, that even when I had some hard, hard years, I was able to come back and then be stronger because of it. So then, you know, I get to take that into, into my parenting and, you know, I'm going to be honest, like I tried to get into my head a lot about it, right? I tried to read all the books. I tried to, you know, have a plan on exactly how everything was going to be, you know, all the kind of no brainers of, you know, this is how I'm going to parent. This is, you know, uh, of course we're going to bed share. Of course we're going to, you know, breastfeed easily with no problems and all this stuff that just felt so normal because that's what I was around. Right. And I, you know, I almost, you know, now looking back, I almost had a little bit of a um, kind of fairy tale mindset around it. Like just because, uh, you know, attachment parenting is so beautiful and natural and instinctual, um, intuitive does not mean it's always easy, right? It might always be easy in some ways, but like that was a rude awakening of, of mine. I remember about a month in, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> what have I signed up for? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is out of balance. I don't know if I can do this. I had, you know, crisis of my, you know, I was doubted myself. I, you know, I, I compared myself to all the other moms and how they were parenting and all that stuff, you know, a new mom goes through, but I really, I mean, even me being, you know, grown up and and, uh, modeled the way I was modeled, I still had those internal struggles. Um, Thankfully, I've, you know, kind of figured things out a little bit now. Um, But I think that was, you know, that was my, that was my journey. Um, But what I really kind of want to hone in, hone in on is, it's a little bit of, of both. It's, it's some of that conscious decision to, you know, have some of those deal breakers. No, you know, I'm going to parent this way, but also having that just grace and gentleness around, um, you know, finding what, what does it mean for me? Like, yeah, I can read this in a book, but how can I make this fit my family model? And what is the best for my, from, 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 you know, my husband and my, 
my little one and, and trust that it, it might look a little bit different than what the books say or, you know, what my parents said. And that's okay because it's, this is our, you know, our version of the journey. And you have a new family. And I just want to flip back a bit because when you're saying, you know, when you have your problems as a young person, that that base is there. And I think that's the big thing. It's not, I was discussing this with a friend that I grew up with in New Zealand and she is, um, well, she was um, one of the head nurses with Plunkett over there, which is their maternal and child health system. And we were having lunch and I said to her, listen, what do you tell these mums about, you know, parenting? Because I know you were a softy with, you know, very attached with her own children. And it was at a stage where there was lots of pressure to do sleep training. There was a really huge pressure a few years ago. Hayden will remember this probably. Very, I mean, not that there's no pressure now, there's still pressure now, but it was really coming in that this was the right thing to do. She said, look, I tell mothers that this beautiful attachment is not going to guarantee you that you're going to have a perfectly smooth journey. But what it means is that when it goes rough for your kids, they will come back and tell you. And I yeah. thought that is really important. I've noticed that with my own kids. You know, I've been breathalyzed in my pajamas picking up a 17-year-old who'd been drinking because he rang me and said he didn't want to get in the car with his friend who'd been drinking. And I said, you tell your friend, all of your friends, anyone who's been drinking, I'm on my way to pick you all up. And the police pulled me over and breathalyzed me. This mad woman in her pajamas, winter flannelette pajamas without even a coat or a dressing gown on, pink hair completely disheveled, you know, and looking like I might have escaped from somewhere. And I said to them, look, I can promise you that breathalyzer will be zero for me, but I'm picking up some kids, you know, can I bring them back and you tell me how much they've had? And, mm. and I think it's being, you know, having that connection. And I always say that, you know, that is an investment. Like you said, Hayden, that that connection will be strong. And even when things go tits up, your kids will still have that secure base. You know, you haven't kicked them out where they've got no choice but to take the hard road. You know, they can come back to you. So I think, you know, that's that's a really good point you've made there. Absolutely. And when it comes to families, you know, you've just mentioned you and your husband and your child, and we grow up in different families with different influences from our partners. And this can be, you know, you're bringing together these two people who have had completely different imprinting and surrounds. And, you know, did you feel any external or family pressures around this when you, you ladies had your babies and children? I don't mean you, you don't have to bag out on your mother-in-law, but, you know, just... Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll pop in first on this one, Hita, if that's cool, um, because I, I just I just experienced you know, spending time with my um, in-laws for the first time in over a year and a half, you know, from, because of the pandemic and everything. And um, wow, what a world of difference between spending time in their home versus spending time in, you know, my childhood home, childhood home with, you know, uh, Dr. Dr. Bill and Martha. Um, love them, lovely people. I would never speak bad, but... Um, <laughs> you know, I got the side looks when, uh, you know, oh, you're still nursing, you know, those kind of comments. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're not, you're not going to force him to sit at the dinner table and finish his food. You know, a lot of those kind of things, but he's going to, you don't need a crib. He's just going to sleep in your bed. You know, a lot of those kind of side comments. Um, but you know, that's, that's all they knew. That's all they knew back then. And, um, you know, my parents were so brave to, you know, go against the mold. And so now it's a, it can be a challenge with, my partner who um, was an only child, first of all, you oh, know. <laughs> very good. Yeah, so he hasn't seen other young children. No, so bless his heart. He's, he's doing a fantastic job catching up and being respectful and open to, to learn. It's been a learning curve for him. Um, but I will say, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I don't have 100%, 100% support um, and understanding from him. He, he, he will go along with it and he will, you know, do his best, but you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't know any better. Right. So it's, it's my job to stand firm in my convictions and to, to help model for him. And, you know, he might have some opinions that are different than mine, but at the end of the day, he sees this happy, healthy, secure, thriving toddler 
and he sees the results of our parenting style every day. So when he has, when he, when he throws his little comments of, oh, are we sure we shouldn't, you know, do this and this and this different? I'm just like, yeah, we can talk about it, but let's remember all the positive stuff we're seeing every day, you know? <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful way to do it because I think, you know, lots of mothers that I work with, you know, find that their hearts and their connection with their babies are really strong. And that intuition is calling them to do this responsive nurturing because that's what feels right in their heart. You know, when you have a baby, you've grown this baby in your body, you've had this baby, and look, even if you don't grow your baby in your body, if you have a surrogate or whatever, you know, you're still going to, if you bond with this baby, it doesn't feel right. That noise around you is so confusing. And it does mean a lot of communication with partners who've been parented differently. And sometimes, I mean, my husband's one of seven you know, six boys and one girl. And he was parented very differently. Mind you, I wasn't parented, you know, with this very attachment model, but it did feel right to me. And that's when I discovered the, the good doctor and Martha. And, <laughs> and they, can I just say, they are such humble, sensible people. They're not what you'd call extreme or weird or... You know, it's not alternative. It's just normal, the way yeah. they go about nurturing children. And I've watched Dr. Bill talk to young children. You know, at a um, barbecue we're at, me, just the way he listens to children, that respect is amazing. You know, and Martha's always so sensible. And look, she probably had to teach him back mm -hmm. in the day. Yeah, well, that's one thing I really respect about my dad he, is he, he even says so much of what he has learned is from, well, first of all, from my mom, but also from the mothers in his practice. He sees that as a partnership. He's not the doctor who knows everything. He said, no, the mom is the expert on their baby. And it's like, I learned from them. And so being in pediatrics for over 50 years, that's one reason he's so knowledgeable is he's, he's been humble and open to, to that learning. And um yeah, yeah, they, they are pretty amazing. They're very special. They really are. Yeah, they are. And, you know, having babies in that era, I mean, they obviously started a bit before me, but, you know, knowing that they were there as models and reading their, you know, the discipline book was a real help. Mm -hmm. Things like that, when you haven't been brought up with, you've only been brought up with smacks or straps or something like that, which was very much a 50s and 60s type of thing. And, you know, nothing... My, my father never hit me, but my mother did. And she would say to this day, I had to. She was a very naughty girl. <laughs> yeah. And it was their belief. And I used to get flat from my own mother about that I wouldn't smack my children. And, mm. you know, one of my sons, um, it's probably early 20s, and we were in New Zealand um, because my nephew had been um, killed in an accident um, a driving truck driving accident and um, we were there and of course lots of people were coming to our family home and my mum looked totally exhausted and my son said look granddad will take you for a drive and I'll cook the dinner and he'd already spoken to my dad and mum of course you know that generation of women she's in her 90s now you didn't take over their kitchen that was their domain and you know, so he very respectfully said to her, look, when you put the roast in, do you do this or do you do that? You know, and whatever. And then one of my aunts came to visit and my mother was so proudly showing her because my aunt said, oh, these young people, they don't even know how to carve meat. And mum pulls out the meat that my son and, you know, Jonathan had carved. She said, what do you think of this, Avis? And they were just, she was just so proud. And then she said to me, I can't believe how considerate he is. You wouldn't even smack him. So it was still in her head 20-something <laughs> years later that how oh, on earth would I have read a respectful person when I wouldn't knock it into him? him. <laughs> you be respectful. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I, I, so my first husband, he was, he was brought up very much that way um, with the strap and, and all that. And it was such a, it was such a hard experience for him. Um, he's a, he's a very sensitive soul. So to him, um, he wanted to, he was wanted to do it different. He wanted something different than what his house was. He didn't really know what that looked like, but he, he knew that's not what he wanted it. He, he very much could 
see where that, that type of parenting severed their connection. And I could see it too, like, you know, from the outside perspective. So he was kind of primed and ready for something like peaceful parenting and, and the way that, you know, I, I really wanted to raise our kids. So he was all in, he really was, um, God bless his heart. And I, so I'm very lucky about that. He was a fantastic dad. Um, but I really, I also found value in what he brought to the table as far as his own opinions and views. And I think one of the, the great things about, the way my parents present attachment parenting is it's meant to be done in your own way. It's not to be, it's not meant to be oh. a set of rules you have to follow. Um, like, like Aaron was saying, it's, it's, it's learning these things and then finding your own way that fits with yourself and, and your kids. And, you know, the, the mom baby duo, it's, it's different with each one. So even from one child to the next, it's going to look a little different. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, I was I was very glad that my um, my kid's dad was was all in because I think it would be really hard to kind of have that. I know a lot of a lot of friends and and people I I mentor. There is a struggle. There's a struggle when there's two very strong opinions, and then you really have to navigate that. Um, and I think I think what it is that nobody's necessarily right or wrong. It's just how they how they are programmed. How they um, what they learned. So, uh, I, it's funny cause my, my husband now, I, <laughs> we joke about it. It's totally cool, but, but we would have struggled raising babies together. Like we fully admit that like, cause he, <laughs> he's like <laughs> kind of like more like, I don't know, just more like structured and strict and stuff like that. And he, like, he, he sees value in what I did and the investment I put in, but he's like, man, I like, He's like, I don't know how you do it. And he's he like just the way I talk to my kids and and like you said, we're teenagers, they kind of revert back to some toddler stuff. And when they snap back or they're rude, like the way I've practiced respond the way I've practiced responding to them over for 18 years, I'm able to do that now because I get it. I get what's going on. Not only do I know them intimately, my kids, you know, I've I, I studied it. So I understand what's going on. And um, so very, you know, I've kind of have two very different men in, you know, that have been in my life. Mm. I think my, my kid's dad was a very good dad for babies and we co-parented very well together. And then, you know, my husband now he's, he's, he's great at being a parent support to me, but he's not really ever wanted to have kids of his own. So, but he's very good at supporting me. And so I have like, he's like my safe person to, to help kind of be that other adult there, but he's not really the on hands-on like nurturer, like my kid's dad is. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see these two dynamics and two very different men. It is. And when people are different with children, it is only from their own experience. That's yeah. all I've got. Newborns need to be fed around the clock and the mama milk machine does not stop day or night. The average baby requires at least nine hours of hands-on care a day and that doesn't include all the extra tasks of washing, cooking and basic self-care like simply having a shower that goes with a new addition to your family. As you breastfeed and care for your baby, feeding yourself is often the last thing you can manage. And this is why I... Pinky, I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, created delicious booby foods. So far, booby brickies and booby brekkie to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. As a nourishing snack, an analysis by Victoria University Melbourne found that Pinky's booby foods can be a helpful nutritional complement to a healthy balanced diet. And because we know that everything mothers eat will be passed to their baby through breast milk, Booby Bickies and Booby Brekkie are made from all natural and organic ingredients with no preservatives or additives. You can download my free ebook, Making More Mummy Milk Naturally, and you'll get 15% off any purchase when you order Booby Bickies, Booby Brekkie, or any of the carefully curated breastfeeding accessories at www.boobyfoods.com.au. Use the code TITSUP at checkout to receive your 15% discount.
because I remember going out and thinking because I'd been brought up, you know, with these smacks and that probably like your first husband, you know, I didn't want a parent like that. Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted, but when I went to La Leche League and started discovering this peaceful parenting, I just, yes, because it was actually a neighbour. My child touched something on a coffee table and my neighbour smacked him on the hand. I was mortified. I didn't even know what to say or do or anything and took my child home and thought, I can't take my child to her place ever again. Like she wasn't a friend, she was just a neighbour and we'd been invited over for afternoon tea because we'd just moved into the neighbourhood. And I just went, oh, my goodness, you know, this beautiful little thing who was about 12 months old, you know, just walking and he reached out for something on a low coffee table. And I thought, why didn't she move it? It just didn't make sense to me. And then I started learning a whole lot more. I'd, I'd gone to La Leche League to find out how to wean this child and realised I didn't actually have to because, you know, I had people in my ears saying, you know, he's too big to be breastfed. And this, this child is 47. So, you know, that age where people didn't breastfeed their children for very long you know three or four months was considered that so I was totally a weirdo that I was still breastfeeding this walking child and um yeah so just immersing yourself with that outside support is really important and at that time I don't think my husband was even quite as shocked as I was like I was mother lion leapt up in me yeah, I bet. I can imagine. And, and you know, for my husband, he just thought that was normal run of the mill at that stage. But I found when communicating with him, if there was something that we disagreed on, I would say to him, look, this is an eight or a 10 for me. We'd give it a score out of 10. Mm -hmm, I like that. And I'd say, you know, if it was only a two for me and it was a 10 for him, and I don't even know what that would have been about now, I can't remember. But, you know, I'd think, right, well, we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. and presenting your case and educating your partner is something that's an ongoing thing because then again when you get teenagers you know when you've got these attachment nurtured children are usually very confident they will try things out mm -hmm. and you know it, it's a lot more communication when they're teenagers isn't it and it's and it's also not reacting I remember one of my daughter's my oldest daughter, because having two big brothers, and she was, she, when they were sort of needed some calm or some comfort or some connection, for some reason they'd come and sit on our bed or I'd find them lying across our bed, which is probably the nest where they'd been nurtured when they were little. And she was sitting next to me. I think I was breastfeeding her baby brother. Oh, no, she, no, he must have been older then. Um, and she was sitting next to me and she said, what would you do if I smoked? And I said, well, that's, that'd be a pretty dumb choice because, you know, it's not very healthy. And she just kept razzing me about these things. What would you do if I came home drunk? And I was, you know, totally being a good teenager, but I'm not reacting to anything. And all of a sudden she said, what would you say if I had a year 11 boyfriend, which would mean he was about 16 or 17 and she was just 14. And I went, have you? And I exactly <laughs> pressed my buttons. <laughs> yeah. we go tits up sometimes don't we I mean it's the buttons get pushed oh yeah you know I tell my I tell my kids you know I'm human you know I've learned I I, I try my best but I'm human too I'm yeah. I, I have a limit you know it's 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 just how it is yeah I mean most of the time we try and do what makes sense for us but you know we're probably tighter on the first one and you know the third one can go under the radar and <laughs> and like your girls in the middle you could probably you know your parents are much calmer about the things that happen because they have a sense that well this too will pass yeah that's true or, I think Erin yeah. and I experienced you know the the younger the kids younger than us my parents had already had five kids to practice, to, you know, trial and error. So when they were parenting the youngest, which is who we got to see parented it, I think it looked a lot easier. Uh, it, it was a lot easier for them because they've been through five kids. So yes. I think that was a little bit of a surprise. I think it was, I think maybe we thought it was going to be a little easier because we didn't have those five kids lead up to, to have all this practice. And that's what we observed them having. So 
it's definitely was harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, because I was talking to a lady, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was driving up in our hills. We live just below the hills here. And I was driving up there and there's these beautiful little, tiny little shops there. Um, and one of the ladies in this craft shop, I was talking to her and she said, we somehow we got on to about our, our grandchildren, you know, and she said, do you think we made it look easy for them? Because mostly we were at home we didn't you know there's a whole generation of women who even if they worked worked part-time around their families we were there a lot of the time we didn't have the same sort of pressures that you know Erin would have now and I just wonder if maybe we've made it look easier or do you think it's actually harder Erin in this circumstance do you think parenting is getting harder or do you think it's I think it's a little of both. I think um, culturally, I think it's different. I think, you know, it's, it's more normal, like you said, for, for women to, to be, to be working and to be, to do it all, to, to wear all the hats, you know, to do all that. Um, especially for me, you know, I, I live in Northern California and my family in Southern California. So I didn't have the regular, uh, you know, support from, from family to, to, to help like, you know, that maybe it was, maybe it was different back in that, in that generation. Um, yeah, that's, I, I, I do. I definitely think it's more complex now. I think mm-hmm. maybe there's a lot more complexities now, maybe not harder or less hard. It's just, it just seems a lot more complex with internet and cell phones and social media. It's just so many more nuances that weren't there you know, 20 years ago. complex is probably a great word, yes, because there's more distractions. I mean, over my children, I've got 18 years between the oldest and the youngest and the influence that came up with the younger child, it was, you know, as those tween and teen years, it was a lot more complex and a lot more influences on that child and a lot more connection with, you know, where you you knew your neighbours and you picked your kids up and dropped them off and you went into that home and spoke to the parents. And and now it could be a child from a family that you have never met. Their kids didn't go to school with your kids. You know, it's a, it's a whole lot of a different ballgame. Yeah, our mm-hmm. kids have access to the whole world, you mm. know, in certain ways. It's, yeah. Yeah, so that is hard. Yeah, and also, like you say, Erin, when you haven't got family around to mind your children or help with your children I mean when my daughter had her first well her only child I um lived 11 minutes away and she could come up here and say you have him I'm going to bed and she'd just hop into a bed and I'd take put the baby in the carrier and go for a walk or whatever for you know a couple of hours and bring him back for feeds and she'd had a lovely uninterrupted nap where she didn't have to think about him whereas my younger daughter had her baby in Dubai last year I was on a, I was, you know, ready on standby to jump on a plane and go. And then the pandemic hit and she was all alone. So it's, I did manage to find her a doula who was able to sneak into her compound mid peak pandemic when there were $50,000 fines for leaving your house. It was incredibly hard for her. I think, you know, that, and, and even if you're having a doula and you've got a doula coming for a certain number of hours, it may not be the hard hours. You know, it might be a different morning that you can't actually get dressed because you can't even put your baby down that morning. So there's a lot more challenges when you don't have family right close to you, Erin. Yeah. I've got yeah, great that's, respect that's, for you. That's something that I would definitely, I think you asked a while ago, um, would you do something you know, do something differently? Um you know, I was, I was kind of prideful at the beginning. I was like, no, I've made for this. I've been training for this my whole life. I got this mom thing, you know? Um, but I, I did not ask for help. I, and consequently I had a lot of burnout. I had a lot of postpartum um, anxiety and a lot of fear and a lot of, um, you know, not operating as my best self because I didn't ask for help. And, um, you know, just because you don't have family nearby doesn't mean there's not other ways. You know, it took me until Johnny was a little over a year to connect with another mom friend who I dearly love. She's like a sister to me. I trusted her. We finally started a childcare swap, you know, one afternoon a week and just those couple hours made all the difference. So, you know, if I get opportunity to do it again, I will um, <laughs> humble myself a little earlier on and, um, 
you know, just get a little bit more help in a safe way. I know new moms, you know, I did the best I could and I just wasn't comfortable yet. However, I see now that, um, you know, I could have shown up as, as a little bit more healthful version of myself more often had I had a little bit more support. Yes. Yeah. And that reaching out, like you say, it's a prideful thing because you feel that everyone else has got it together. And if I have to ask for help, well, perhaps I'm not, you know, as together as I should be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas really everyone feels privileged to be involved with a baby. And even if it's a friend coming over and you sit there together and fold your washing and then you go to her house and maybe you do a cook up together. Just having that supervision really, isn't it? Or, you know, it's like supervision, like company, like support. You can vent to each other. You can say how hard it is. You can cry in front of each other. You can bitch about your husbands if you want to. And, you know, but there's no, oh, she's got a terrible relationship or, you know, there's none of that when you've got a really good friend. You know that, you know, they're doing the best they can too. It's not, it's not about, you know, victimising anyone, but it's just sometimes releasing all that lot of you know truckload of feelings that you have absolutely yeah definitely and getting through it yeah now in the spirit of this podcast because it's called tits up and it's about showing and I think we've already shown that nobody's perfect even if they come from perfect gene pool perfect um imprinting perfect environment have you each got a tits up moment or a bad mummy moment or a bad mommy I should say to you girls or a, maybe it's a wake up call moment where things went tits up and how did you get through it? Um, I think it, maybe mine was less than a moment and more of a situation. I was, um, it was when my youngest was first born. We had actually moved about an hour and a half away from my family. We moved when I was eight months pregnant. Uh, so, and then I had a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and I was homeschooling. So, you know, we, we had just moved, got settled in and I had, um, yeah, it was, it was this moment of just complete overwhelm and not moment, but this situation, just complete overwhelm where, um, it was, I felt, I kind of kind of felt alone. I was out and I, I, uh, I didn't plan ahead. I mean, you, I had just moved. I had a newborn. I had these young kids, like. I don't know how I expected to be able to do it and be okay, but I just like, I don't know. I just didn't think ahead. And I, I remember feeling like such a failure that I couldn't do it well. Like I wasn't like, we weren't thriving. We weren't doing well. And yeah, I remember feeling like I I was, I was just a failure. And, um, and when I, you know, when I, so I think I say that because, you know, I, I had already had two kids and I, you know, it's my third kid and I, I knew all this stuff. I had all this knowledge, but even so, even with the support and this and that, there's still going to be these times, these seasons of your, and that next year, probably a couple of years were so, so hard because my kids were having some certain struggles. And, um, and instead of like, you know, looking back, instead of being so like feeling like I was such a failure, I think it would, it would have been so much helpful. And my parents did, you know, they were in my ear a bit, but just to realize that there's going to be seasons, no matter how prepared, no matter how hard, like no matter how healthy you are, there's going to be seasons that are just hard because they're hard, right? They, it's just how it is. And so instead of thinking that I was doing something wrong or that I was a failure or that I wasn't enough, just kind of shifting that acknowledgement to no, this is just hard and it's hard. Like anybody in this situation would be struggling. So taking that, um, taking that burden off myself, that all of what was going on that was hard was my fault because I didn't whatever X, Y, Z. I think when I finally was able to get to a better place and, and subsequently my kids started thriving again, it started with me, um, being okay saying, this is just hard because it's a hard season of life, not because I did something wrong. And, and, you know, throughout my life, there's going to be more chunks of times that are hard. And I think that's just because that's how life is, not because I um, am not a good mom or, or this or that. And I, I think a lot of it, it, you know, it starts here in our head 
Um, and so that, you know, continuing to, to work on that inner self-talk and that inner critic inside of ourself is, um, that would be, you know, if I say it, a tits up moment, it wasn't a moment for me. It was like that, that, that season of my life where I just had to do that shift in my head. And once I did that, it, like other things fell into place. Well, you're taking the pressure off yourself because when you're in that tits up time, and I can remember not long after I had my fourth baby thinking, um, I've had one too many. And, <laughs> and that wasn't helpful to think that. I thought I was a good mum up till then. And now it's all gone tits up. And really looking back, it was fine. I wasn't doing anything horrible. You know, I just was overwhelmed. And I remember getting my toddler and my baby ready and getting down the road to the health centre sister thinking, I'll pop down there. And she was closed. And I just stood there and cried. And it was just a bit too much at that time. And, you know, like you say, moving house when you're eight months pregnant and then having a baby when you've already got two children at very different stages who have different needs. I mean, any mother would be swamped. Yeah. But it's, but, you know, I think, I think one, of the hard, one of the hard things of growing up as a Sears is, you know, I, I felt like I should be able to do it. Right. Like I, right. I should be able to be better than I am. Like I, sh I should be able to handle it. X, Y, Z. And Even though should... my parents never put that on us, they never did. Oh. This is my own self. You were <laughs> like shitting I, on yourself. I was shitting <laughs> all over myself. So. <laughs> yeah. Don't let anybody shit on you and don't shit on yourself. <laughs> Well, I definitely, I definitely had a, a more of a, a tits up moment just a few nights ago, actually. I, it was the first thing that came to my mind when you asked that question and I'll, I'll just be a little vulnerable here. You know, I lost my cool. I lost my temper. I, I snapped at Johnny uh, after almost two hours of, of the bedtime battle. I was done. I could not do it anymore. Um, and we're all in tears and my husband, you know, husband came, you know, came in lovingly and calm and I had, you know, I got to go to the bathroom and have, you know, let it all out. Um, but it did not feel good. And, you know, I, ha I had a lot of, at first I was beating myself up about it, but I have to remember, I'm like, um, I'm a human. <laughs> I, have, I, I feel very deeply. I have a lot of, of emotions and feelings. And, you know, I made it almost two hours shoving down that, you know, that rage that starts to feel when things are really hard. And I'm at the end of my tether, you know, I shoved it down, shoved it down. And then, you know, he played with my nipple one more time. I just, <laughs> I snapped, I couldn't handle it. And, you know, the thing is, is, but that, that hard tits up moment, um, it was a good wake up call for me because I have to be honest myself with myself about the fact that he's not a baby anymore. He's, he's a toddler and he, he, we're at a stage where we need to have some more boundaries. We need to have a more of a balance in our um, responsive parenting and, tr and try to find a way to have some boundaries that feel safe and trusting and positive without me feeling like I'm, you know, beginning taken advantage of. And um, it was also a very, just a big lesson on knowing that I'm doing the best I can. You know, we, we created some, you know, kind of, we were in survival mode a lot of the ways in our, in our breastfeeding habits and our nighttime parenting habits and a lot of that, you know, I, I did built, built in some, maybe, maybe not the best habits because, you know, I just was too tired to do anything differently. <laughs> I just was too tired. Yeah. And, and so, so now we're, you know, dealing with this, some of the consequences of that, but it's, it's not bad. And I don't regret those parenting choices, but we just have to find some balance and it's going to be a little bit of a, a journey to get there. But I, you know, so I'm grateful for that moment of clarity because, you know, it, it needs to happen. It's time. <laughs> That's it. And there's, there is that switch over from that little baby whose needs and wants are exactly the same to switching over to that toddler relationship which is just a little bit different and and it's you know like you say it will be a gradual thing and it'll take time but being aware of it that it's okay to set in some boundaries around whether it's around breastfeeding or whatever else you know that you you need to set a few boundaries and it it is that 
realization because that little baby in your arms there's still that little baby in your arms as they're growing and you don't even realize that until you go actually I'm suffering here yeah actually they do know what no means yes (laughs) yes understand the word no yeah okay to say no well they say no an awful lot around two and a half yeah (laughs) but sometimes it works both ways (laughs) I think that's that's one of the essences of parenting is is recalibration I mean you're going with the flow and then you you have like a tip-tip moment like oh wait it this is showing me an area of growth that's needed and you know okay let's recalibrate that I think that's that's a huge part of just the human journey not even just with parenting that's yeah. right, because we often do, like when you say when you get tired, you just keep one foot in front of the other and hope you don't end up flat on your back tits up, don't you? And you just do what works in the time and it works until it doesn't work. And it can be quite sudden that it seems like it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm. Oh, those, those are great examples. And it's, you know, thank you so much for both being vulnerable and real about this parenting journey because I think people have the feeling that not only is everyone else together but if you've you know done the right thing with your children you will never have any problems I think people have this fairy tale like you said Erin image of what parenting will be like and when it isn't for you as a person you start to think you know you you blame yourself like you do Hayden you know you start to think well I must be doing it wrong. And it's, there's no right or wrong. It's everybody's doing what makes sense to them at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's the best we can do. Now your books, your pregnancy and new mum journals are the latest ones. And can I just say they are beautiful. And even if people don't get round to writing in the journals, even reading those gorgeous tips and honest little bits, and um, strategies for getting through things or even just opening up things that you might like to think about and go a little bit deeper. But I love those journals. Thank you. Yeah, we loved writing them together. So Erin and my mom and I, like the last three, about three years, we've been writing these two journals. One is the Healthy Pregnancy Journal and the next one is the Healthy Motherhood Journal. And basically it's just, you know, Martha Sears and Erin and I just kind of guiding a mom through that, that part of her life, that just beautiful, awesome part of their life. And we offer, you know, just like tips and suggestions and parts of our journey. And then we ask a ton of questions and, you know, the the concept is to journal them, but we know a lot of moms have, don't have a lot of hands free time. So even, even just to ponder these things, just to, to put concepts out there that they might not think to address before then they're in crisis mode. So a lot of our writing is, is things that we wish we would have known or things that we were so grateful to know ahead of time because of the situation we're in, because of the parents we have. We realize a lot of people don't, don't get the program we have, don't get the type of support we have. So it's like almost if you had Martha Sears there guiding you through your pregnancy, guiding you through that first year of motherhood. So we loved writing these journals. I mean, we just think they're really valuable. And that's exactly what it felt like reading. I mean, obviously I'm not a new mother and I'm not pregnant, um, but listening, but reading it, it was like just having some kind, experienced female guides. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as you read it, you could just hear those voices. It's, it wasn't a you should or you must or anything like that. It was just opening up conversations and it's such a beautiful um way to share with new mothers yeah and it was fun because the second one uh, the motherhood journal erin was writing it like on the job like she had just she had a newborn when we were writing it and so she just brought this real raw real um in the moment flavor to that to the, the motherhood journal that i think is just it added, it adds just the perfect thing. You know, my youngest is 11. My mom, you know, she's a great grandma and that's great and valuable perspective. But when you add in that brand new mom, I, um, stuff that Aaron was able to offer, I just think it, it's, it's such a well-rounded, um, real, it helped us remember what moms need in that time. So it was was perfect. You know, and it was, it was very, it was very nurturing and therapeutic to me 
to have that while I was going through it because it's like I felt connected to every other new mom out there in the world while I was sitting sitting in the middle of the night thinking of, oh, I'm going to write about that. Or even sometime I'd get out my phone, you know, doing the middle of the night feeding and I dictate just what I was feeling in that moment. Um, and, you know, that's, that's immortalized like that. I get to open the journal and remember like how I was feeling right there as, as in an, you know, as, as a new mom, just trying to figure things out. And, you know, it's really, it's just an invitation, it's an invitation for new moms to, um, to nurture themselves while they're nurturing their baby. We, we all know, right. We get to show up and be the best version of ourselves. And we are first connected and nurtured to our own selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's very specifically for the mom. Like this isn't a baby book. You're not going to be writing all these things about your baby. You're, you're exploring yourself and getting to know yourself and connecting with yourself because we, we've, we've noticed that so many moms in that first year, they kind of get, it can get lost. It can get lost a bit. So we can encourage moms to do the opposite, connect with yourself, get to know yourself, um, one of my favorite parts is these beautiful affirmations Erin wrote, like she said, probably in the middle of the night when she was going through it herself, she wrote these beautiful affirmations that we guide moms through and they're just perfectly real. Um, and like, I wish I would have had those affirmations when I'm in the middle of the night. So it's, it was, it's thrilling to, for it to come together and then to know like moms get to have this. Yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful gift. So if anyone listening has wants to gift this to a new mom or gift it to yourself, you know, you deserve gifts too. And it's really precious. How can listeners find your work? Well, Amazon, of course, is really easy. The Healthy Pregnancy Journal or the Healthy Motherhood Journal. You can also find them on askdrsears.com as well as Aaron and I's other writings. And um, all, all Stuff Sears is on askdrsears.com. It is actually that's a wealth of wealth of knowledge. You can go in deep there. You can, but even then, all the articles are re- relatable and easy to read. They're not, you know, it's not like you're reading an encyclopedia. The information is yeah. all there. The research is all there. You can trust AskDrSears.com as a yeah, as a great resource. <laughs> I go there all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do too. <laughs> or when I'm, you know, looking for topics to share or on social media or whatever you know I'll pop over there and say what's over there and there's you know almost always something will be over there that you will think yeah this would be helpful yeah so it's a, it's a great resource and you know like you say some of your brothers are even writing there these other doctor seers yeah they contribute my my three older brothers contribute they do more of the medical doctor stuff that stuff Aaron and I do more of the nurturing breastfeeding um, woman, woman stuff, my mom, the three of us together do that. So it's, it's just such a beautiful, well-rounded website. I think it kind of has a little bit of, of everything because of all the contributors are such different people in, in such different um, aspects of life. Yeah. But you can actually trust that you're not going to suddenly be told to, you know, that whole philosophy, that gentle, connected, peaceful, nurturing family type stuff that's what you want. I mean, you can go to websites and they can have a splattering of, you know, everything from sleep training to managing behavior to whatever. And you don't know which fit's going to feel right for you. Yeah. You know, you might have to sift through some of the things to have something resonate with you. Whereas if you're looking for gentle, peaceful, connected parenting, um, it's, a, it's a great resource. Now, what are your best tips if you just got one special tip, maybe a couple, um, how to be the mother that you want to be. I'll jump in here. Um, there's, of course, so much and so much we've already talked about. But yeah, at the end of the day, when I'm my most authentic mom self, it's when I have found ways to quiet the noise in my mind. So I can, so I can connect with, with what's really, and what's really my heart is saying, especially as a new mom, you're hearing all, all the opinions, all of the, you know, what my friends are doing or not doing. It's, it can be maddening. It can be very, really triggering for people, especially if you suffer with any kind of anxiety issues. Um, 
it can be maddening. So finding ways to, you know, quiet the noise and get quiet with yourself and, and listen to that, that mommy heart that only I have. It's, I'm the only one that has the mommy heart to mommy Johnny the way he needs to be, you know, parented and just to trust that. And then the second thing I would say is, um, is, you know, just don't overdo it. I was the kind of mom I wanted to be just super mom getting involved with everything right away. You know, I was out and about joining, I joined like five moms, moms groups right away. And it just was too much. <laughs> it was too much. And finding one or two things, people or groups that were really nurturing that were aligned with my parenting philosophy. So I, you know, didn't get triggered to, you know, stop trusting myself. Um, and, you know, then connect there, maybe layer in more as, as you go, but, you know, just take it easy, give yourself grace to, you know, develop this whole new side of your brain and your heart and your body is, de- is developing along with your baby. So, you know, give yourself time and patience. <laughs> That's beautiful. And really me, wise. Yeah. yeah. Hayden, what is your it, tip? Well, I mean, kind of the same stuff, but, um, something else I would add was, uh, just really working on that, that inner voice that you have, the way you, we speak to ourselves. Cause I, you know, I spent so much time and intention speaking kindly to my children, making sure they had a great environment. You know, I didn't let people, you know, you know, like speak unkindly to them, but I was horrible to myself inside my head. I, I just had this really hard inner critic going on. Um, like I shared before, I would just show it all over myself all the time. So my, I think my, my, one of my number one things would be is to really pay attention to that inner voice, nurture that inner voice, um, speak to yourself the way you would speak to your best friend who is struggling to, you know, the way you would speak to your baby if they're in pain, um, give that type of nurturing and grace and love to yourself. And I promise you, you'll have more of it to then give to the people around you. It will be more authentic. It will be more centered. Um, it will feel so much, so much better if you've first given it to yourself. That's so important. That speak to yourself as you would speak to your best friend or your child. That that's just the essence to remember. So yes. So thank you so much. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find the support and information too.